Let me welcome to the show Dr. Stephen Gordon. He's a senior research specialist in democracy, capable and ethical state division in the Human Sciences Research Council. And we're going to be speaking about the state of refugees, asylum seekers and foreign workers in South Africa. Dr. Gordon, good morning to you. Good morning to you, and thank you for speaking on such an important issue. Mm. On on Sunday, of course, we marked International Refugee Day, and I think it provides a moment uh, for the world to reflect on the state of refugees, not just globally, but for countries like South Africa to ask themselves very deep questions about the extent to which we have been honoring some of the international obligations that we have committed to when it comes to the protection of the rights of refugees, asylum seekers and foreign workers. Perhaps your own reflections on where we are as a country. Now, absolutely, you raise an important point. The COVID-19 pandemic, which occupied much of 2020, hit refugees particularly hard. And we saw across the globe a rise in anti-refugee rhetoric from many political leaders. Indeed, South Africa compares quite well when we look at other nations like India, the United States, or Brazil. However, we must not lose sight of the fact that refugees in our country suffer significantly from the COVID-2020 pandemic, as well as are hard hit by restrictions on asylum seeking, on movement, and on documentation. South Africa traditionally has a good international reputation on honoring its commitments to the well-being of refugees and asylum seekers. But in the last decade, we've unfortunately taken a bit of a knock in terms of that reputation, with many raising concern about the well-being of this most vulnerable group in Mm. our society. Let's perhaps take a look at why refugees and asylum seekers in particular are so vulnerable. Mm. One of the reasons that this group is very vulnerable, is the widespread negative stereotypes that attach themselves to this group. You know, we did a study um, in 2019, and we asked people about various stereotypes about refugees, you know, and we found that many people viewed refugees as violent, as dishonest, and as job stealers. And of course, there is no empirical evidence to justify this view, this negative stereotyping about refugees. You know, indeed, many refugees are simply people trying to rebuild their lives after traumatic experiences in their country of origin. Mm -hmm. And this level of demonization creates a lot of problems for refugees in South Africa as they try and set up their lives and try and rebuild after what they went through in their country of origin. What we the, uh, sure go go ahead go ahead, Doctor Gordon. Honestly, one of the main issues that confronts South Africa is the issue of refugee integration. Now, other countries have quite successfully implemented refugee integration programs 
these programs allows refugees to participate in local communities, to contribute to the local economy, to local social and cultural life, thus turning refugees into a productive and beneficial element of society. Uh, now, while all countries have not been successful at this, there have been some notable failures, there's definitely enough good models that we can draw on to build our own successful refugee integration program. Currently, very little is done on this issue, and it does make refugees very vulnerable across a range of parameters. We leave these considerations really in the hands of civil society, and the results, unfortunately, are a little mixed. Despite the heroic efforts of some organizations, many refugees consider continue to be extremely vulnerable. One of the things that we often hear, and in, especially in, in South Africa, when we are having a conversation about refugees and, and asylum seekers, there seems to not be a lot of empathy about the reasons why these individuals may have fled their homes. And the comments that are sometimes made are, well, why don't they go back home? And people use the example of South Africa under apartheid, saying, well, if we never stayed in this country to fight for what it is today, we would not enjoy the freedom that we have. And so refugees must not flee their countries. They must stay there and fight for them to get better. You know, these types of narratives are very dangerous not only because they perpetuate negative stereotypes about refugees as somehow um, lazy or opportunistic, but because they are ahistorical. We must remember that the liberation movements in South Africa, specifically the African National Congress, sought refuge in a variety of different countries, including countries in Africa, who provided the ANC with bases of operations so they could fight the apartheid governments. These countries suffered significantly as the apartheid government unleashed military and economic retaliation against them. Nations like Mozambique, Angola, Zambia, Zimbabwe were bombed and attacked by the mm. apartheid forces in retaliation for hosting refugees from South Africa. You know, South Africa's burden in comparison to hosting its current relatively small refugee population is much less than what those nations went through when they hosted South African refugees. Let's speak about a question that comes up again very often, and, and you, can, you can give the answer based on, on the study that you conducted in 2019. It's around the perceived numbers of refugees and asylum seekers in this country versus the actual numbers of, um, of, of these individuals? You know, you were very right to raise this issue. So South Africa has a small refugee population. Um, in terms of everyone, including people seeking asylum, those people who have not been granted refugee status as yet, it's probably about 280,000 um, persons who are both refugees and asylum seekers, relatively small. The overall international migrant population as a whole is only about 3 million 
to 4 million people. But if you would ask ordinary people on the streets how many foreigners live in South Africa, they will quote you some truly outrageous numbers, listing tens of millions of persons. Indeed, we conducted a study and we asked people, you know, how, what percentage of our nation's population are foreign born? A quarter of the population thought it was something like 30 to 40 percent. Another quarter thought it was even higher than this. These are outlandish figures, but often figures that are promoted by political leaders and politicians who routinely quote wild estimations of tens of millions of migrants somehow living in South Africa. Um, again, completely outrageous and a dangerous and destabilizing narrative. On the same breath, Dr. Gordon, we have a situation in the country where it is widely acknowledged that we have porous borders and that oftentimes there doesn't seem to be a good handle on the government being able to account for all the people that are making their way into the country's borders. How do we deal with that and how do we as citizens respond respond to that problem that we are facing as well as a country? I think there are two important issues to consider here. So the first issue is one of regional and continental integration. We as South Africa are leading in on the continent a drive to unify Africa and create a united, strong, powerful Africa. And that drive to create a united Africa includes the lowering of borders to trade, to people, and to ideas. That's what regional integration means. We are leading on creating that Africa Renaissance, that pan-African vision. So we as a nation must realize that we are moving towards a situation where we will see a lot of cross-border migration. And rather than viewing this as a threat, we should accept, as the pan-African movement does, that this will be a benefit from both an economic and a cultural perspective. Of course, secondly, there should be regular border control in an appropriate and measured response. We should not overfear cross-border migration, but there should be a level of control as goods and people move across the border. South Africa needs to embrace smart, equitable policies on immigration. We have a lot of very good proposals currently under debate. As we move towards meaningful immigration reform, I think we as a nation should try and support some of the more progressive of those proposals rather than adopting narratives where we see immigration as some kind of scary threat or danger, but rather as the economic and cultural benefit that it can be. We need to rebuild our nation after the ravages of the COVID-2020 pandemic period as we move towards full vaccination. This will include economic and cultural immigration into our country, which will help us in that rebuilding effort. 
I'm in conversation with Dr. Stephen Gordon. We're talking about the state of refugees, asylum seekers and foreign workers in this country. I'm also taking your calls on 011-714-2006. You can send your WhatsApp voice notes and messages on 0614-104-107. Tato in Makanda, good morning to you. I hear where the professor comes from and his arguments make sociological, anthropological sense. But I want Professor to remove himself from the four walls of the academic of the academic building. And I want him to put himself in the situation of nineteen million people who live on the doll, nineteen million people who live on social grounds, who are part of this welfare and this welfare state that we live in. Nigeria got its independence fifty years ago or seventy years ago. I'm not so sure if it's our responsibility to look after and to encourage countries that are war war ridden to move their people into, 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 into our country. I, I just think we are not helping African countries take responsibility. People must take responsibility for the development of their country. And, and I think this argument that we see, we are looking at the issue from a xenophobic sense, I think that I'm, I'm very critical of, 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 of academics, advisor, adverts, and everywhere else who are promoting and migratory studies, who are promoting this idea that we're xenophobic. Put yourself in the shoes of the 19 million people who have nothing, who come out, out of apartheid, who come out of colonialism in South Africa. I'm not so sure if uh, regional integration is the solution at this point in time for South Africa. Mm. I think we need to give that thought. Okay, Tato, don't leave. Don't leave in case uh, yeah. Dr. Gordon wants to engage further with you. Dr. Yes. Gordon? Oh, of course, yes. So there's a very common narrative in South Africa the welfare drain narrative, where immigration is seen as a drain on our large and extensive welfare state. You know, similar narratives are not only seen in South Africa, it's not just a South African thing. We see this particularly strongly in Europe, where racist white wing political parties use um, the black or brown or Muslim threat to European welfare states as a justification for strong border control. Now, in the South African case, when we look at the data, what do we find? We find that the vast majority of foreign nationals are not on social grants. The vast majority of of foreign nationals are engaged in economic activity. That economic activity generates taxes. Those taxes help pay for social grants. In fact, one of the things that South Africa could do to boost its fiscal uh, stability and ability to pay for social grants is to encourage more. Tato, just hang on. Let him finish. Yeah, that that was it. Yes. Uh, This is actually based on World Bank and OECD studies, which were conducted recently. So we must... um, There's often a lot of rumors, though, um, that immigrants somehow appear out of nowhere and, and acquire, you know, houses and social grants, but very little actual evidence that this is taking place. Okay, Tato? You're not honest. Go to, go to townships, South African townships, compare that World Bank study, okay, to what's happening on the ground. Go read what people have written in their theses and find out how some of these movements like the Islamic movements, how they find puzzle shops, Bangladeshi, Pakistani, and, 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 and that type of thing. And the type of 
products they bring into our people. And as to whether some of those are repaying texts, I think your research is not honest. You are not completely honest. You are basing your study at a very, very middle-class level, at a very academic level, where you're not reaching out to what's actually happening on the ground in South African townships. Okay. I think you need to revisit your study. Okay, Tato in Makanda, thanks for that call. KG in Bloemfontein, good morning, KG. Thank you very much for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see, this issue of migration is very complex. Because now, the question that uh, that uh, your guest must, must help us to answer, uh, why is it that other countries, uh, we, we take, for example, a simple Botswana, Botswana will not accept, accept me to go there and sell sweets in the street and say, you know, I'm bringing value to the economy of Botswana. But they will accept somebody who is who is a specialist in his field, who brings something special that they don't have there in Botswana. Number one. Number two. Uh, just a short while, I think uh, a few years back, our neighbor here, Namibia, could not accept the Methodist Church of Southern Africa, the women, the women's Manyano, to hold to go and hold their uh, their annual general conference in Windhoek. They wanted. Uh, uh, working visas from all the people who are going to participate in that conference. And those people were just going to a conference to participate and come back. But that government of Namibia viewed that participating in a conference as a form of a work. So, I don't know, unless we say here in South Africa, you know, we are Father Christmas, it's okay, we are so relaxed, we are so liberal, mm. you don't have, uh, rule number one is the, the there's no rules. Anybody can, can do whatever they want. You know, but Immigration and migration. If you were telling me about uh, getting engineers, scientists, top-notch doctors, etc., etc., maybe it would make a bit of sense to me. And also, provided that we have exhausted our own here in South Africa, we don't have any engineer who's sitting at home without a job, and then we get somebody from anywhere to come and work here. Mm. You know, like this Cuban thing that happened a while ago. I mean, we have to be straightforward. And it's one thing, speaking from a position of uh, you know this ideal situation that goes on on in in the in the, in the, in the doctor or the, or the professor's head, and it's quite another. The situation on the ground. You go to our towns. You go to our cities. There's a lot of of of, of our our girls, uh, young ladies who have been trafficked. I don't know if that is also considered uh, economic activity. Who are taken, held in captivity, and 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 and, and sold. You know, as as sex slaves. You know, it is this this township shops that we talk about. You 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 go. I don't know in Bloemfontein here. Those people themselves, the Bangladeshis themselves, operate some sort of slavery because they bring people from Bangladesh. They keep them there in the shops. One person is only maybe twenty, thirty, forty shops. You know, and 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 the money is I don't know as to the paying of the tax to mm. start. I no no. Okay. No, we we need to be serious really. Okay, KG. Thank you very much. Thank, thanks for that call. And, and Dr. Gordon, I think the perspective that is coming through from our listeners is one that says our experience as South Africans in our communities is different from what the research often finds. And I'm sure it's not the first time that, that you're hearing something like this. Mm. Yeah, so our research at the Human Science Research Council involves going into communities, you know, speaking to people, you know, hearing their thoughts on on a variety of issues, including immigration. And so these comments about, you know, uh, the economic 
social and sexual depravity of immigrants is something I've heard many times in the 10 years that I have been studying this issue. So, of course, this is not surprising. Um, I think it's very easy to take a zero-sum approach to the issue of migration, to think that there are maybe only 6 million jobs in South Africa. So if someone gets a job, that means that someone else has not got that job because there's only a limited number of jobs and there can't be more jobs than 6 million. But let me tell you, there, there can be more than 6 million jobs. You know, we can create more economic growth by working together and expanding the economy and creating more businesses and creating more jobs. The, the view that there's only a limited number of jobs, there's only a limited number of economic activity that can possibly take place in our country, that's, that's not a view of development. That's not a view of growth. We need to try and rethink that viewpoint. You know, secondly, I would also say that we can always find, you know, individuals, you know, this person I heard about did this wrong thing. Therefore, all people who are like this are bad. You know, this Bangladeshi person was rude to me. Therefore, all Bangladeshi people are rude. That kind of thinking, unfortunately, is not productive and leads to some very harmful behavior, you know, right. using that kind of negative group stereotypes is what has placed South Africa in a very, very difficult position throughout our whole history. You know, we are trying to overcome centuries of racism and prejudice, and it's perfectly understandable that that is a very difficult journey, but we must remember that the racism of our past has a bearing on the current states of our future. You know, one of the findings that we come across again and again in our study is that people who dislike foreigners also tend to dislike other race groups. Sure. And this is true not just of white South Africans, but it's true of other race groups, colored South Africans, Indian South Africans, and black South Africans. All right. So we Doctor, must remember yeah. that Sorry, Dr. Gordon, I've completely run out of time for this oh. interview. I'm so sorry. Right. I'm going to have to okay. leave it there with you for this morning. Uh, Dr. Stephen Gordon, let me take you to the latest 11 o'clock news.